Toad's top five because ten is too many. Toad's top five because Stubbs is too busy. Toad's top five, I don't know what he's up to, but he's clearly busy. So let's talk about some tunes, cause it's Toad's top five. Yo, yo, ma. Yo, yo, ma. Welcome. Toast top five because 10 is too many and because nubs is too busy, which he is. I hope you're doing well out there, nubs. Actually, in his defense, other than just being a busy guy, you know, he's a busy guy, right? Um, He has been world traveling for the last like two weeks. He was in Sweden and in Denmark and in London and just, you know, making the rounds, you know, the, the world tour. It's actually kind of cool. Hopefully, hopefully we can do another two twins podcast soon and, and he can tell us all about it because he actually went and saw uh ghost and guns and roses at the uh, Copenhagen metal festival which was probably awesome. And then they went and saw uh, Gwen Stefani and maybe Taylor Swift or something like that. I don't know in um, London. So, you know, there were some musical, you know, ventures as part of this trip, but you know, in addition to just being busy, he he has been uh, outside of the domestic area of late. So we'll give him that. We'll give him that break, but you know, screw that guy. We're here here to do top five on a band that is actually really easy to do a top five about instead of a an album episode because frankly these guys i'm not sure they ever made a good album you know of all the bands that we in the what 85 or whatever episodes we've done and all the different genres we've covered in different time periods and different you know in some cases classic artists queen never really even came up because what album do you really do you know none of them were particularly compelling i, I you know they've tried to sort of create a, a classic angle out of a night at the opera it seems like which actually there's two songs in the top five from it and sort of also on news of the world and the day of the races. I mean, I, they, they've tried to sort of position a couple and, and by they, I suppose, I mean the, the critical, you know, designators of the music industry and music press. But ultimately, I think it can all be, a, uh, it can be agreed on that. The band never really put out a great album, but they certainly put out a lot of great tracks. It's a band that I think a compilation does just fine. You know, some of the albums are interesting listens to an extent, but none of them are musts. So it was kind of a good group to sort of boil it down to the song level. And I'm not sure if we'll ever do a an album episode for these guys. But 
Today, we're going to take a lap through their top five. But first, let's start with an album worth mentioning. I will now sell five copies of the three EPs by the Panda Panda. So today it's going to be, by the way, um, you guys ever get those leg cramps in your calf when you when you wake up? I had one this morning and it's like I'm recording this in the evening and it, it still it still hurts. Like hours later, that's how intense. And, you know, you just use very loud obscenities and pound the headboard. That's all you can do. You know, just wait for it to go away. It feels like it lasts for like 10 minutes, but it's really like 10 seconds. But it's like the worst 10 seconds of your life. And plus, the worst moment is when you know it's coming. Right. It's before the pain really begins, but you know it's coming. There's nothing you can do about it. It's just anyway, that's how I woke up this morning. But you know, I listen, you, you can't always wake up, you know, chipper and with the birds chirping and and you know, the sun rising and you know, a pot of piping hot coffee next to you. I mean, sometimes you wake up and you're in, you know, dire pain. And you know, it's the way it works. But Anyway, I'm not even sure what brought that on, but uh, we're going to do a live album. I think it's an album that in a condensed form was released many years ago, but I believe this is the first time they have released the entire show and it's called Live Forever Berlin 1986 by the great Falco. And it is just awesome. I mean, it's, you know, it's long, it's double disc and it's. I don't know, almost like a two hour show, but I had no idea Falco was that great. You know, I mean, every song is pretty interesting and, you know, you get a little bit of English, quite a bit of German. The band is really good. I mean, it's, it's, it is definitely worth the listen. You can get a sense for the kind of artist and performer that he was and this. This is a really good capturing. So if you're in the mood for a little German, crossover pop whatever you call falco check it out live forever berlin 1986 i'm going to mention one other thing enya put out we did enya on the big show right she put out a vinyl box set and i'm not usually really into like compilations as much at least for vinyl but this is pretty cool it's three albums and it's so oceans is the uh upbeat stuff clouds is the instrumental and stars are the ballads you know so those are the three discs but i went ahead and got it you know big fan maybe i'm trying to do whatever i can to you know as i've said on the enya episode i i really want to see her live you know go on tour Enya. i know you're listening i know you're a big fan of the spinoff toast top five you just will you just just once go on tour play the stuff live. I would really appreciate it. Anyway, so that's sort of two albums worth mentioning, but there you go. All right, let's get to Queen. Now, these guys are obviously very heralded. You know, they've been in the movies within the last couple of years. I actually thought that that Freddie Mercury movie was kind of stupid, but cool that, you know, I, there were a couple of things that were cool about it. It was a very good way to get some younger people in different generations into their music, which is great. And and secondly, I I do feel like they they really did make it a story about the band. You know, it would have been really easy to just make it the Freddie Mercury story and have it be all about sort of his 
life and lifestyle and and then his eventual death and all you know which was from complications from aids back at the time where it was still very early very early 90s you know relatively new situation for the world to be dealing with but really i i did think the movie did a good job of of making it about the band and how they came up and how they came about and i also think the movie did a pretty good job of capturing that this was a pretty squirrely bunch of guys, you know, this wasn't really like dudes that were, that had the look or feel that were like destined for rock and roll stardom. You know, I mean, Brian May is kind of this like gangly sort of bushy haired dude who was like a, I would say slightly above average guitar player did some cool stuff that was fairly, you know, stylistic and fairly innovative, but wasn't like one of the great guitar gods of his time roger taylor who is the drummer that you know kind of had this sort of high-pitched kind of interesting voice but a voice that would become really important to the pieces of the puzzle for queen's music and a good a good drummer you know not amazing but good and then john deacon this total introvert who i don't even think ever liked being in a band or gave two shits about them being the biggest band in the world for a period of time, which they certainly were. And then Freddie, who, you know, was obviously a very talented showman and a, you know, very flamboyant kind of personality and an incredible voice. But another dude that you wouldn't necessarily look at and say that guy is going to be a rock and roll icon, you know? So it's kind of this weird collection of dudes. And certainly I think that's partly what leads to the, lack of direction and and lack of consistent personality um, musically for this band. I mean, they were kind of all over the place. And I think that's part of why, I mean, eclecticness is good and, and experimentation is good and all that, but it, it also kind of always felt like Queen never really had linear direction on any of their LPs at least. Right. And it seemed like almost too much of a hodgepodge and, you know, sort of every different track zigzagging in different directions. And, and a big part of that was the way they wrote because it was pretty individualized. They certainly helped with arrangements and these type of things on each other's song, but generally you had the guys coming in with a pretty sound idea and they all had very different musical styles, which was part of what made the collective work. And also part of what kept it a bit schizophrenic at times. In fact, I, this was not planned by any means, but after I kind of put down the top five and then sort of looked into each track a little bit deeper, I completely unintentionally have four songs that were written by each member of the band individually. Did not even mean to do that. And then the fifth was written by all four members. So. You know, it's a little bit symbolic of the grab bag nature of this at times was good. And each of these songs in the top five all have completely different styles, which made it a little bit chaotic when you're trying to sort of get through an album, but also was part of Queen's longevity and, you know, their sort of approach that certainly did not feel like it had to fit into a box which at this time in the sort of rock and roll scene and this time in terms of radio output and 
all those kinds of things, you know, you got to give them credit that they never really went for the template. You know, they sort of said, let's put a bunch of styles and a bunch of approaches on the table and see how it plays. Now their deep cuts generally weren't great. You know, you never, you don't really hear a lot of people talking about a lot of the band's deep catalog being particularly strong. There's only really one song within the top five that one could consider a deep cut. And even that, you know, is sort of medium as we'll get to it, but they certainly had enough standout songs and they had enough beloved material to be rather legendary live and put on these extraordinary live shows. I mean, you see clips of the shows they would put on, you know, even in their early days, but then you'd see the sort of stadium shows and the live aid performance, which we'll get to. And, you know, their performances at Wembley stadium and all that. I mean, these guys and Mercury in particular really knew how to put on the show. And as far as a rock and roll showman, you know, might be top of the list, you know, whether you kind of love their music or necessarily love everything he did vocally or composition wise, you know, when it came to the theatrical nature and the performance nature of rock and roll, particularly to the masses and in a stadium or arena environment, I'm not sure anyone really did it, you know, much better. Um, we actually went and saw a few years back, there was a tour and, and, you know, tribute bands typically to me are sort of more annoying than they are anything else. And just kind of makes you long for the, the real deal. Obviously the real deal isn't possible with, I mean, they've done the Adam Lambert thing, which I, I can't really get as much into, but there was a touring group called the Queen Extravaganza. That came through Detroit, and I got to tell you, <laughs> I went with Mrs. Tofa, and we were just blown away. They were unbelievable. And, the you know, it was kind of like the fab foe for the Beatles, where the goal is not to really look like them or perform like them, but it's to really sound, it's to capture all the instrumentation, all the vocal harmonies, et cetera. And those guys do an amazing job of that with the Beatles. Well, this was the Queen Extravaganza's approach. It was... Let's capture the sound. And if that takes, you know, 12 vocalists, let's do it. If that takes, you know, 20 people on stage, let's do it. But we want people to come and get a really tight performance of some rather complicated songs. And they were just amazing. The set was just brilliant. And, you know, by the end, you kind of, you know, you were singing and swaying and really top notch. And if that, I'm not sure if that thing still exists or if they're still going around, but if you're even a small semblance of a queen fan and you ever see this queen extravaganza coming through town, I would go again, hundred percent. And this was like five, six years ago. So if you ever see that come through, go, go hit it up. They will not let you down. Let's get to the top five. All right. So like I said, we've got four songs that are each written individually by one member of the band. So we're covering all four of them in one way or another. And then one that was written by the group. There's two songs off the same album, A Night at the Opera, uh, one off jazz, one off Sheer Heart Attack and the other off of the work. So this first one um, is probably the most, I guess, deep cut 
And this one is written by Freddie Mercury. Number five. Number five. Please call me Johnny Five. Johnny, you have taken name for yourself? The opening track off A Night at the Opera, Death on Two Legs. As was the case with a lot of Mercury's songs, very sort of whimsical, operatic, fairly theatrical, has different sections and different movements. It feels like an eight-minute song, even though it's three minutes and uh, 45 seconds. So Freddie's kind of pissed off in this song. And, and you know, for a little while, there was some mystery as to who this was about because it's pretty direct. Um, the lyrics are actually pretty harsh. And it turns out he wrote it. The, the parentheses of the title is dedicated to dot, dot, dot. So it's obviously for somebody. It ended up being about their former manager who actually sued them for defamation, uh, you know, via this song. So, you know... <laughs> While Freddie doesn't say who it's about, obviously the culprit came forward and said, hey, that's mean, and I'm going to sue you. They they ended up settling. But it's a diss track, you know? It's a 1975 diss track. Well, how about that? some really cool guitar stuff there obviously as we just heard some off-tempo stuff it is a very cool track a lot of mercury's composition had twists and turns um obviously that he's pretty famous for that this one does but it still remains pretty simple and it's you know it's a rather short track you know three minutes 43 seconds pretty reasonable for the record by the way the song that uh that i played before we kick off the top five you know that song that sounds like kind of a mess is actually the band Yes. The song is called 5% for Nothing. It's actually also a diss track. 5% for Nothing was a shot at their former, and it's an instrumental song, which is kind of funny. So he's not like singing about how terrible this guy is, but it was a it was a shot at their former manager, you know, who also heard the title of this and got all pissed off. I don't think he sued Yes. But this one is obviously much more direct. He's like actually talking in the song about how terrible this guy is. But anyway, very cool track. Great way to kick off what was probably their best attempt at kind of the the classic top to bottom Queen album, even though I wouldn't necessarily classify that. Fine shot. Oh, I should have yelled too. Number four rewinds back a couple of years from there to their sheer heart attack record. These guys put out records pretty quickly. It was almost like most of them just had a year in between. They packed in a lot of material in a rather short amount of time. This is uh, the song that all four of them wrote and kind of an early example of of metal. You know, this song gets pointed to as thrash or upbeat, you know, metal music. 
early example of something pretty heavy. You know, this is on the same record as Killer Queen and other songs that are a bit more kind of melodic. So again, there were moments where it was kind of neat that you could get a song like, you know, Killer Queen or In the Lap of the Gods, which is also on Sheer Heart Attack. And you also get track eight on that record, which comes in at number four, Stone Cold Crazy. Awesome vocal with great effects. Kind of have that reverb effect. Uh, just just that in the drum beat, which is clicking on the rim. Very, very cool beat by Roger Taylor. So it's, it's a jam. Um, the live version of this, you know, is always pretty cool. And the Metallica version of this is really what got me into it. Um, it was a B-side, I think, for Enter Sandman, and they would play this live a lot. And it was pretty bitchin'. Now you can't blink because it's two minutes and 14 seconds long, but kind of cool in that way. You know, it wasn't something that was too long or too strung out. Pretty cool that they all collaborated on something that frankly, um, it comes in at number four because it's a really great track and it's total jam, but you know, in a lot of ways kind of pioneered a, a little bit of a sound and probably brought an, an up tempo, you know, sort of more metal sounding tune to an audience that probably wasn't terribly familiar with it. It was probably like, we joked with Brendan Bayless when we did the Umphreys episode, when they play wizard Burial ground, like all the hippies in the crowd just sort of don't know what to do. They're like trying to do the jam band dance to this, like progressive metal instrumental epic piece, you know, and, uh, comes in at number four. Stone cold crazy. Coming in at number three, a John Deacon song and the second song off Night at the Opera. Now, this is, again, kind of cool that you have the same band going from Stone Cold Crazy, an up-tempo sort of metal track, to one that was built for the radio, utilizing the Wurlitzer that we talked about with Sam Fauser on the Super Tramp episode. What's up, Sammy? And it was kind of hard to pull off live, so you didn't really hear it a lot in their live catalog after that first tour of Night at the Opera, but it's certainly one of the standout tracks, not only on that album, but for the band as a whole. It comes in at number three on Toast Top 5, and this is John Deacon's You're My Best Friend. Such a like cute song. 
you know. John Deacon wrote it for his wife. Um, I bet he got some good action, you know, that night. I mean, come on. Come on, John. But uh, Freddie didn't like the electric piano. He was kind of a piano purist, but but he was trying to convince John to figure out a acoustic piano arrangement, and John was like, screw it. I wrote it. I like the electric piano. Let's do it. And another song that's sub three minutes, um, probably helping that radio airplay, but you got to hand it to them. They were pretty efficient. You know, you never, they definitely had some long pieces, but you never really felt like there were queen song, too many queen songs that just like dragged on, you know I mean? They kind of knew when to put a period on it. And I think that's part of what's great about you're my best friend is it's not embellished with layering or with sections in fact it's it's a very tight song and no segment of the tune appears more than twice so it's not repetitive for the sake of it or it's it's a pretty efficient great song and gotta be i mean john deacon also contributed another one bites the dust which is you know a hell of a contribution to their catalog but arguably john deacon's best song and comes in at number three Utah, give me two. Number two is probably seen as more of a live song. In fact, you know, I could either play really the the studio version, which is off of uh, the works, their 1984 album. So now we're a little later. Um, in fact, the works tour was the last tour that that Queen would go on um, because I think they only played live until 1986. Became an absolute classic live sort of defined in a lot of ways some of their live performances during the last couple of years of, you know, Queen touring and also playing some of these rather marquee events, which we'll talk about one of them in a second. Uh, the track is coming in at number two off the works, and it is Radio Gaga. You their version of video killed the radio star lyrically it's a pretty cool lyrical tribute to the preservation and, and beauty of radio you know almost like the spirit of radio penned by the great neil pert you know same idea in fact there are references in the song to orson welles's war of the worlds as well as winston churchill's famous radio address your finest hour all referenced in this song, this love letter to radio. So John Taylor wrote the, or I'm sorry, Roger Taylor wrote this one. John Taylor's enduring her in. And um, he was going to have this be a, a solo album. I mean, Brian May was doing some solo stuff. Roger Taylor was doing some solo stuff. 
And he originally was thinking this would be a great solo song, but the rest of the band heard it and said, mm, we want a piece of this. This is going to be a big hit, we think. And then really became a huge part of their live show that many people um, who have witnessed and, and studied and acclaimed the classic Live Aid performance, which I think was in 1986, if I'm not mistaken. It's one of the, you know, latter performances for the band. Uh, they say of all the great musical things that happened at Live Aid, which was at Wembley Stadium. Well, there was a version in the U.S. and then there was one at Wembley Stadium in London. They say that Queen's Radio Gaga was probably the coolest moment of the entire festival. You know, you can just visualize the 80,000 people in the crowd clapping along as they did to such a classic live track from the band. That comes in at number two, and don't look now, but we have reached the number one song on Toast Top 5. So many to pick from from this band. What's it going to be? It's the best. Thank you, everybody. Number one, probably a surprise to some, but it's always been my favorite Queen song. Like, and it's not really that close because I think it is just such a freaking jam. I mean, this is a wide open song. Everyone is ripping uh, every single instrument, the vocal performance. Um, it's pretty produced, but as far as kind of a wide open, heavy, flying down the highway kind of rock song, I just think it is held up extremely well. Off of Jazz from 1978 in the drop D tuning, which these guys rarely did. Here is track two. One part of the double A side. Here is number one, Fat Bottomed Girls. Oh, you gonna take me home tonight. I like big butts and I cannot lie. Okay. So that was the nineties version of this, but you know, back in 78, you know, you wanted to talk about a big old keister. This is the way you did it. This is the way you did it in rock and roll. How about these vocals? Kind of funny to hear, you know, Freddie Mercury sing about gals, you know, but well, he was married, I 
think at one point to a woman, but you know, it's just a freaking jam. That kick, uh, and actually Brian May sings the choruses, although there's like 85 voices. It's very sequenced, you know. And then uh, Freddie handles the verses. But what a jam. I've been singing with And if nothing else, if you're kind of like, why wouldn't you go with Bohemian Rhapsody or, you know, whatever, uh, or, you know, um, under pressure or, you know, whatever. Think about this. This influenced Spinal Tap's Big Bottom. So really, without Fat Bottom Girls, we really wouldn't have had a Big Bottom by Spinal Tap. So think of it that way. Number one on the list off of jazz, which is kind of, I would say it's their second best attempt at a somewhat classic album. It's an interesting listen, but again, there's just, there's still moments where it's just like, Ooh. Fat Bottom Girls was a double A side with Bicycle Race. She didn't make the top five, but, you know, Freddie at the end says, get on your bikes and ride. So, you know, the two songs kind of talking to each other, kind of cool, right? But that comes in at number one, and that rounds out the top five. We do have some honorable mentions here. One Vision, which again was another, in addition to Radio Gaga, one of their better later tracks. Somebody to Love, track which is great, just kind of didn't make the cut. Sail Away, Sweet Sister, which is a Brian May song. He actually sings lead. And then another one where one of the other guys sings lead is I'm in Love with My Car, Roger Taylor. <laughs> just, a, just a kind of amazing uh weird song off of a night of the opera but it's pretty awesome so yeah, two two honorable mention songs that freddie mercury doesn't even sing so you know again cool that these guys could be so eclectic it could be argued they were overly eclectic at times but a good band to kind of run through the top five and i'm sure that this is one that there are going to be a lot of varying top fives and i'm sure you know plenty that think i'm out of my mind for not including one thing or another, but that's the beauty of it. So let me know. Let me know what you would have included. Let me know what I'm a total idiot for including. In the meantime, thank you for tuning in. Much appreciated as always. That's a wrap on episode six. Queen, we'll see you again soon on Tove's Top 5. Top 5.